All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, he, she's, they's, thems, and everybody in between. This is Megasheen, your podcast for queer and geek culture from a Black queer perspective. I'm Nick, and I, uh, Victor is not here right now. He's, you know, living it up in San Diego at Comic-Con, but I am not alone today. Today, joining me for the special review of Thor, uh, Love and Thunder, uh, is the co-founder and executive director of Colorblock, which is a nonprofit organization that aims to build a community of queer and trans people of color through a literary publication and cultural and educational events. He's everyone's favorite teddy bear on social media. Please welcome to Megasheen, Chief Esparza. Did I get that name right? You did get that right, Nick. Thank you okay. so much for that <laughs> wonderful introduction. Um, I think you promoted me above my pay grade, but I will appreciate it anyway. Uh, you're more than welcome, eh? I We've been fans of Colorblock, what you've done uh, in the past. You uh, have recently had uh, your con uh, in the Bay Area, is it? Mm-hmm. In San Francisco. Okay. Uh, so tell us about uh, a little bit more about Colorblock, um, the con, and uh, anything else that you want to uh, let the audience know. Yeah, no, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to share time and space with you today. And of course, to um, to folks who will be listening to the podcast. Um, yes, I am chief. My pronouns are he, him. I am queer. I am Mexican. Um, I am the co-founder and, color, uh, and executive director of colorblock.org. We've been going for more than five years, elevating the stories and narratives of queer and trans people of color all around the world. Um, we are talking hundreds of people at this point um, through the collections, as well as our community events, which we refer to as the kickbacks. Um, And we just do things a different way. We don't necessarily wrestle on identity. We don't ask people as a blank, tell me your story. What we do is we pick a common human experience. And I apologize, there's a helicopter going over my apartment right now. Um, But we pick a common human experience, something that is very basic about living and breathing as human beings. And we say to folks who are in this vast community of people of color who are also queer and trans, how do you engage with this concept, this topic? What is your experience with this? And so that's how we get like our publication on boundaries. What does the word boundaries mean to you? How do you engage with this? We talked about in our armor collection about the style journeys, your clothing, literally what you put on your body. What is your journey with this? And when we do that, we don't get necessarily conversations around identity. We get conversations about humanity. The identity reveals itself through these conversations about humanity. And so that's how we get deep conversations into identity, into culture and human experience. So we do it a little bit differently because we're not trying to check boxes of diversity. We're trying to get at human beings and how we live and breathe and how identity reveals itself through all these different ways. Or as Nick Johnson, Nick Johnson is our editorial director, a brilliant, brilliant human. Um, But Nick Johnson once used the phrase that color block reaches the unswept corners of our communities because we don't do the conventional, the traditional storytelling that a lot of outlets or mediums do. And this is how color block elevates the stories of queer and trans people of color all around the world. So that is color block. Um, And I know that's a little bit more. That's a long answer. (laughs) Oh, no, we uh, like no long answers around these parts. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I mean, and see, this is what you get when you have storytellers. 
if you, exactly. if you don't invite a storyteller to a podcast and expect something like you know tweet length right <laughs> a little more than a little more than 280 characters um right but you know I, I i am actually wearing the shirt for for the con that we did last month in the bay area so cutie con is our cutie con pride is color blocks uh, event our kickback community event for queer and trans people of color who sit in these spaces, these nerd and geek spaces in the fandoms. And we actually did this, the first one in collaboration with the San Francisco AIDS Foundation about three years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful. So they have a community, it's, a, it's a, a single building, it's three levels. It's a community space, an art space, and a public health space. They do testing and treatment, STI testing and treatment there on site as well as a lot of other harm reduction um, community spaces. You know, so for folks who are dealing with addiction, substance abuse, um, folks who are dealing with various forms of, of, of trauma, and of course, STI. You go up every day, Monday through Friday, line up out front. Nobody says a thing because they don't do shame. Public health is not about shame, right? right? But you see folks lined up outside of Strut. That's the facility that they have in the Castro in San Francisco. People just drinking their coffee, eating their scones, waving hi to their friends who are walking by on the way to work or wherever. And people line up, you take a number, you go sign up and they tell you at this time in 15 minute increments, this is when you will come in to uh, get your blood drawn, to do a urine test, to do your swabs. They'll let you do your swabs on your own, you know, if you, if you're comfortable doing that, but it, they will figure it out. STI testing, STI treatment all on site. And because of their donors, because of their relationship with the SF Department of Public Health, this is at no cost to people who line up and do this. And so strut, it is, it is a beautiful thing because you could do it day of. If, you're, if you've got symptoms or if you've got, you met a new person and you want to go further with that person, or if it's just your regular checkup, you know, this is how right. it's done there. And it's a beautiful thing. And I wish public health could be that available for, for queer folks all across the country, everywhere. That is actually what we need. Um, because it's, it's, it is sex positive. There is no shame. It is about harm reduction, um, not about prohibition and all these other things that, you know, folks carry with us. So anyway, shout out to SFH foundation for letting us do the first cutie con there at their strut facility. But what happened is we invited some folks who were in the Bay area. So Kevin Wada, um, of course, Marvel cover artist, uh, and is also a brilliant, sweet human being. If you've ever get to ch- uh, spend time with Kevin Wada, we had Gabby Rivera. Yes, Gabby Rivera, writing for uh, for America Chavez, was there on our panel, and we had a couple of local folks too, folks who do web comics and different kinds of things. Trinidad Escobar, who I know a lot of folks know, and Lawrence Lindell, who is a brilliant human and does some wonderful web comics. Um, if you ever get a chance to check out Lawrence, and then we had um, uh, Diego. Diego, Gar- uh, what shoot? What is Diego's last name? I forget it. <laughs> but <laughs> Diego is a brilliant human, um, and I'll get that name for for us when we take a break. But Diego was moderating the panel, and we just had we had eighty folks in there, and mostly people of color, but there were a few allies, there were a few straight folks, and it was a brilliant thing. So we wanted to do that again. We wanted to do part two in twenty twenty, um, but of course the pandemic happened. And literally, mm-hmm. we were planning this. We were about to do the, the next one. Um, and like Cena Grace was going to fly up from L.A. to San Francisco to do this again. And we had some other folks flying in from Portland to San Francisco. But of course, this in San Francisco, and I don't know how it was everywhere else, but basically from the end of February 2020 into that second week of March, just about every day, there was a new announcement of limitations on gatherings. 
And the, the Thursday or Friday with a week before, they basically, San Francisco Department of Public Health, because they contract with Strut and the SFA's foundation, were like, look, you can't do anything in person. Like, and we, you know, we try to say, well, what if there's only 50 people? Well, what if there's only 25 people? Well, what if we just have the panel and then we do it virtual? And they said, no, like shut down your facility. So we weren't able to do this in 2020. We held off. And then this year we decided to do it again, but we decided to do it bigger. So we had the con at, um, at Soma Arts, uh, Soma Arts, it's a sort of uh, contraction of the two words, but Soma is a neighborhood in San Francisco, south of Market, and Soma Arts is a sort of nonprofit community and art space, holds hundreds of people, obviously with, um, you know, pandemic still ongoing, with other things still going on, folks were a little bit hesitant to go, but we still had a, a, over 100 people come in through the building. We had artists, we had uh, Blue Shield who sponsored the event. Um, mm -hmm. We had a couple of, we had, what is it, Cape and Cow Comic Store in Oakland, which is one of the dopest comic stores. Uh, and those are, they got some great humans working there um, and really like invested in community. So we had them there and then a, a bunch of other artists and we had panels. We had a virtual space on gather so that folks who are not at home or folks who were, could not attend, folks who were at home, immunocompromised, disabled caregivers, not, not in the San Francisco area so that mm -hmm. they could attend and meet and talk as well. So it was a, it was a beautiful event. You know, we did it, we did it the way Colorblock does it, which is a little different. <laughs> Colorblock always says, okay, first off, let's start with the party because we're calling it a kickback. So we have to make sure that it's comfortable, that it's familiar, that it has that sort of living room vibe. So we had, we partnered with uh, Good Vibes, which is probably my favorite um, party crew and event space uh, in the Bay Area. They function mostly in the East Bay and Oakland and cities around, but Good Vibes uh, connected us with three of the most amazing um, black and brown DJs um, in, uh, in the Bay Area. So we had three DJs, we had a pop-up soul food kitchen outside, and then we had um, Tilapia. <laughs> yeah, it's a play on words like tilapia. <laughs> but Tilapia, Tilapia, um, or or you know Danny um, when when she's out of drag. But Danny connected us to uh, five drag performers who mm -hmm. all did cosplay and drag. Like if you've never seen uh, Danny, Danny decided to go up and dress up as Electra, and so had that red suit on. And if you've never seen Tila perform. Uh, Tila's signature is literally doing a run and a flip and like I've like seen those pictures that she is woof. okay right see it <laughs> she gives it gives it right so watch the videos you'll see Tila do a flip um in heels in boot heels and I I told Danny afterward I told Tila I said I, my heart stopped for a second because <laughs> I had to make sure that our insurance would cover that um <laughs> And it did cover that, right. um, but we don't tell anybody. So anyway, it was beautiful. It was brilliant. We start with that party. We start with making people feel welcome in that familiar space, playing hip hop and R&B with the DJs. And then we layer the discourse. Then we bring in the panels. Then we bring in the artists and we get everything else on top of that. So that's what we do. That's what we build. Uh, that's how we build our spaces. So CutieCon was a beautiful event. We got photos up. Um, we had everyone had a good time and people were surprised um at, at at the environment you know some people who had been to you know even comic-con um in san diego or la or elsewhere they were surprised and impressed with with the way the space just felt so inviting and the way it felt so well run um mm -hmm. shout out to everyone at color block to the co-founders nick johnson 
to Nick Perales, to Sean Paul Rosero, and of course our staff, uh, Jay Redublo, and, uh, and to Dana, Dayla, Nolan, Russell, because this is all like a group effort. We are all remote, like there's only a few of us. Actually, I don't think any two of us live in the same city except for Dana and Nick, and they live all, all, all the way on the East Coast. So this is a group effort. We build community and then we're able to have these events in person, but it requires that community effort is a collective effort. Right. And so we hope to do CutieCon again. Um, you know, we want to make this the sort of premier event for queer and trans people of color on the West Coast. Um, we know there are brilliant cons that happen all up and down the West Coast. We know that they, there are some wonderful things that happen on the East Coast, but we want to make sure that this is a little different space. Um, we right. are we are nerds, but we also know how to get down. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I, I'm I, one of these days. I'm going to have to come out there and see this con because. You know, we've been, both of us have been to numerous cons and we see how it caters to a certain demographic, I'll say. Um, so you, I, I see in all of the, the marketing and the advertisement for CutieCon and it, it made me have a, a, a very much FOMO. And I'm like, oh, I really wanted to go. But, you know, they're tripping with these damn uh, airline prices and okay. gas being as, as much as it is. I'm like, shit, I might as well just walk to uh, <laughs> California uh, rather than take the, the airplane. But um, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, and we are going to discuss Thor, uh, Love and Thunder, especially, mm -hmm. you know, since Comic-Con is going on and all of those good things. So let's just get down and dirty with it. Yeah. What were your overall impressions of the movie? Um, first reacts were it was entertaining as hell. Um, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I love what Taika and, and company have done with the character. Um, it, it just it stretches the, the character and the storytelling in a different direction. And so I appreciate that. One thing that I love that Taika always does is he will tell you a story that is goofy, that is silly, that you struggle to take seriously. But then in the end, he it's almost like a setup. And I will say that a lot of Studio Ghibli films are sort of constructed in the same way where mm -hmm. you have something that is silly and that it is just like it, it, it's it's very it feels childish. It feels very playful. But then at the end, they it's almost like a setup and you are expecting more of that. And at the end, they pull you into this emotional thing and it comes together into this point that was designed to make you see that there is something bigger to this. There is something more to this. Um, and it's almost as though the storytelling is to paint life in as ridiculous and arbitrary of a framing as it really is. Life is ridiculous, but then mm -hmm. look at how we create these moments. Look at how we share these emotions and, and things that are actually more important than the ridiculousness of life. You know, don't take this seriously but take these people, take this emotion seriously. And so that's what I love about Taika's um, storytelling. And that's what I saw in the film. I just, I, I had fun with it. I, I, I mean, yes, I'm an MCU fan. I consume right. all of the content, uh, watch all <laughs> the YouTube recaps and, and rumors and all this other stuff. Uh, so I'm biased, um, but I, I also had reservations. Um, and you can ask about right. that if you want. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, let's, let's talk about the reservations because I, I was, you know, coming into this movie, I know Taika was going to give us Taika mm. through the lens of Marvel characters. What I was nervous about is 
I didn't want it to be this, oh, we're just going to laugh, he, 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 and then, but we have this villain, this god killer, yeah. basically. And so I was nervous of how he was going to tell the story of Gore, or what does it say? Gore? Gore. Yeah. Through his lens of storytelling, through the lens of a MCU. And I was, I was a little nervous about that. But I, I don't think, for the most part, he didn't disappoint. There were some things that kind of, I kind of rolled my eyes about or just, yeah. but what were your reservations? Um, well, my, so this is actually, it's, it's good that we're talking about this today. Um, still less than 24 hours after that beautiful teaser for of Wakanda Forever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in recovery mode. Don't like, talk about it too much because yeah. I, Look, I, I was sobbing um, at that thing. We'll talk about that two minutes and 12 seconds later on. Uh, right. <laughs> but I, I think that it's a, it's, a good, it's a good thing. It's a good segue. It's come, something positive to bring up in this conversation because um, Black Panther has become Marvel's drama film. It has become the dramatic in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Ryan Coogler and company, are they're able to do that so well. How can you have something that is both fun and entertains us, but also hits at those, those emotional moments and conveys these points, includes these things that are relevant to, to the world? And, right. you know, I, I feel that Miss Marvel was very similar to that. You know, you're bringing in truths about the world, but in ways that don't seem like exposition, that it mm-hmm. just is woven into the narrative. You know, you, tell me about family. Tell me about, you know, coming of age and growing up. That's where we start. That's and that, then we right. say, now you lay, you're able to reveal that because you're talking about a South, South Asian, a sort of Pakistani Muslim family and experience in New Jersey. Now you're able to get those deeper stories because you're not making a documentary and you're not pretending that those things don't exist. Mm-hmm. So Black Panther has become that thing in the Marvel Universe. But I bring that up because when Thor started out, Thor one and two, this was supposed to be Shakespeare in the MCU. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I I will say that, you know, my father actually lifelong because, you know, he showed me his torn up comic book collection um, years ago when I was a kid and he still keeps them. But he was a fan of Thor because of that. You know, he loved the way the characters talked and how it was regal and royal and Shakespearean. And so he loved Thor Ragnarok, but he that that sort of like it point it poked at something that or it undermined what he had known the character as right his childhood uh mm-hmm. understanding of the character was of that sort of dramatic thor and that right. sort of you know those other themes and elements and so taika undermined that for him you know we're talking about these are at, at the heart of the mcu these are still kids movies and they still speak to a lot of us who grew up with these stories um but when you do that you switch it then sure, kids these days might look at Thor Ragnarok and be entertained by that. But for adults who also see these movies, you did kind of undermine their understanding of the character. And I feel that this is something that, um, and I, I, this is not my criticism alone, um, but a lot of folks feel that Taika sometimes doesn't just let an emotion sit. He always has to throw a joke when you can also let dramatic pauses happen, when you can let emotions right. sit. You know, and, you, and, and I... I will say this, look, as, as a Southern California Mexican, and I know that, you know, a lot of folks of, of color do this too. We joke to get through it, right? Joy is how mm-hmm. we get through it. We, we maintain joy and humor to spite the world. 
Um, and so I understand the need for that. But also when we're watching these stories, I would like more of just, just let emotion sit, let moments sit, let quiet happen, let stillness happen so that right. way we can get these moments. And I think, I think what Taika did in Love and Thunder was very similar to what happened with Guardians 2, Volume 2, which is it just kept aiming for the jokes. Um, yeah, yeah but I, there was a, and we're going to touch on this later, um, that there was like, it can't all be fun and jokes. You know, th there was, we had like some seriousness when Gore's, uh, uh, I guess his child died mm -hmm. at the beginning of the movie. But other than that, there was, you know, everybody was trying to get a, a joke off and it just felt like some of this needed to go revert back to the Shakespearean side yeah. of Thor. And I, that, that was, that leads me to my second question as there seems like to be like this almost deprogramming of Thor, the character, mm. as if he's, Chris is playing a caricature of himself. Mm. Uh, and like this dumb blonde. And what do you, what are your thoughts about that? I think they, um, was it, was it Infinity War when um, Thor and Rocket were having a moment? You know, Rocket mm -hmm. was, was like, he's like, all right, all right. And he's, you know, having to be the captain and he goes to talk to Thor and Thor's in tears talking about, you know, I've lost my, my parents, my, my, my father, my mother, my brother, and he's in tears and he's like, so what else, like, what else am I going to do? Um, that is something that we needed to see more of, not the sadness, but if, mm -hmm. if Chris Hemsworth can have that, those sort of, those dramatic emotional chops, let us see more of that. Um, because I, I will say that it could have been a very beautiful moment at that, at the end of Love and Thunder and yeah, spoiler warning, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry, but if at the, if we had seen a little bit more of the drama happen, um, even with, um, with Jane's storyline, then I think it would have mattered more to see eternity and to witness this transition of eternity creating the character of love uh, played by Hemsworth's daughter but mm -hmm. to see this character come out of eternity one of the most powerful beings in the universe that Gore was was raging against all the gods of the universe for what he lost but eternity saw that what the universe needed was more love now that is a very powerful thing if you think in the context of 2022 and three years into a pandemic, two years after the uprising and the George Floyd pro protest, there is a lot of people on social media and elsewhere saying what we actually need is care and love right now. We are like, we can be angry, we can be frustrated, but that is something that is understood that we all have that. What we actually need is more love in the universe, more love in the world. And that is what eternity did. That's what eternity gave because Gore realized by seeing uh, Jane and Thor, that there was more to the universe rather than coveting a person, coveting life, coveting what you lost, and even faith itself, is that there is something more. And Gore had that change of heart moment, that sort of, you know, Vader uh, <laughs> at the end of Return of the Jedi, that moment where it's just, I was completely wrong. And I regret what I've done because that is not what the universe needed. The, you know, Gore ended up becoming like the gods that he hated, right? The enemies that, that Gore had, Gore became like them 
by mm-hmm. exacting his vengeance and his selfishness on the universe when Gore was like, no, actually what we need more is this service to others, this care for others, you know, that line that the, the, um, the ancient one told Strange, that it's not about you. That's what Gore realized and Eternity is like, mm, good point. Let's put this character of love in the universe. I think that would have had, it would have resonated more had we been allowed to lean into the Shakespearean, the dramatic, the seriousness. Right. And, you know, maybe Tyke is just not that person to do that, which is, again, contrast that with what Ryan Coogler is doing with Black Panther. That The first one was fun, but it was also so sentimental and so serious. And we were able to get both out of that. And, you know, that just might not be Tyke's lane. That's true. Yeah. And there's so many strings to pull from as far as gore, because... I understood where he was coming from, um, from the, you, a religious background and you praise these gods and then they're not what they think that when you, they're not what you think they are. Yeah. And that speaks to, you know, any kind of religion, Christian, especially Christianity um, today. And I, while his methods were fucked up, I understand where he was coming from. Like, so yeah, Gore, uh, I don't, uh, there was also the fact that I didn't so much as like the redemption of him. There's, a, a, they do that a lot in the MCU and I just want a bad guy to be a bad guy. Yeah. Um, where it comes from Hela, which did you notice that they didn't uh, name her off as being dead, which mm. good, cause I think she was, a brilliant villain. I just want a bad guy to be a bad guy. And yeah. hopefully when we get these Kane, when we get, um, I don't think Namor is not a bad guy to me. Um, when we get these other bad guys coming through, I just want, I don't like what y'all are doing. I'm, I'm a villain because I'm a villain. So fuck y'all, I'm going to do it my way. I want that villain. But moving on, <laughs> what do you there was a the most queer representation in this movie since I guess ever in an MCU but it also lended itself as I don't know if this is just Taika's way of doing queer representation but it felt like there was it was always rooted in some kind of joke or some kind of silliness of that nature what were your your thoughts about the the queer representation and then how it was portrayed throughout the film. Yeah, at that so that's a, an interesting one because I feel like Disney is always walking a line. Like we mm-hmm. we we understand what that is. We're all in on the joke. I think that um, the way we've seen queer representation is is actually not really representation. It is the equivalent of advertising campaigns that had disembodied hands holding, you know, like together, right? Disembodied mm-hmm. hands holding each other, etc. Love is love. We get it. That means things to people. It means things to people on a journey. It was, you know, an entire movement um, for, you know, 10 years in the last decade. We get that. But sometimes not saying it is, is, is telling us the story. You're not telling us about queerness. You're not saying it out loud. Um, you're trying to insert it into the narrative, which is 
you know, like I said at the beginning, color block doesn't ask you about identity. We ask you about humanity. What our deal is that we source people who are marginalized of the marginalized. And that's how we get these richer stories, right? That's how we understand that identity will reveal itself um, through this, this common human narrative or common human experience. And so I get that, you know, Marvel and Disney and the, as storytellers, they're trying to say, look, it's normal. Look, it's every day. Look, it just happens. It exists. I understand that, but you're not actually doing things that make it queer. What you need to do is say, is not say, look, queerness is normal. It's every day. It's just like us. That is the mistake is saying that queerness is just like the rest of us, that it is sort of just like uh, uh, cishet folks. What you need to do is say, how does queerness express itself in this common thing? If it is relationship, if it is love, it is, if it is physical intimacy, how is that going to express itself from a queer perspective? And that's where I think the failure is, is that we don't necessarily get that. Like I thought Ragnarok was hella queer just because of the, the jokes and the way it was displaying things. Right. Um, you know, but, but I, I felt like, like this movie was, you saw it on screen, but the queerness of it wasn't there. Um, you know, the, I, I felt like the, the grandmaster, um, Jeff Goldblum played a queer elder <laughs> and mm-hmm. it just, it, it just seemed it, like, I was just like, yeah, this is, this is a queer coded character, but I didn't necessarily see that in love and thunder, even though we saw it an explicitly something that was queer. And so that, I think that's a loss. And I think that's the, the, I think that's a convenient storytelling trick is to pretend right. these things are just there and normal, but that is, um, that's resting on the sort of storytelling advice that people used to have, which is start with a character and then make them diverse. Like, you know, you, you write a character that is X, Y, or Z, has these sort of char- qualities of, of a character or position or experiences, and then put identity into it. And I think that that can, can be helpful, but I think that we're beyond that sort of storytelling method. You can't right. say, well, well, this person is a king and this is, they, they you know, uh, heavy, uh, heavy, what is it? The heavy is the head that wears a crown or whatever. Right. So, you know, you can say that and then say, oh, but they're also black or, oh, but they're also indigenous. Yeah, that's fine. That's a start, but that's checkbox diversity. You're not giving us the deeper story of why that would be different. What are the dynamics? What are the languages, the phrases that are used? How is, how do you understand this? When I do storytelling workshops um, for 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 profit companies uh, as part of Color Block, I, I always show them the um, the culture iceberg, and I'm amazed how many marketing and advertising people who are storytellers through marketing and advertising have never seen the culture iceberg metaphor. And so, what the mm-hmm. culture iceberg uh, image shows us is that you know the tip of the iceberg is what you see above the waterline. And when you're talking about culture, that is the music, the food, the visuals, things you can consume. That's what culture is above the, above the waterline. That is the tip of the culture iceberg. But below the waterline, that's where you get what culture actually is. Right. This is, clean, what, it, what is our, our culture's uh, perspective on cleanliness or on age, on elders, on children, on modesty? How do we, you know, consider these deeper aspects of how we move through the world and navigate the world? And that is where I think the storytelling, both with, with Ragnarok and the larger MCU, as well as in general in culture these days, folks want everything above the waterline. They want everything you can see and consume, but that's how we get fakers. Mm-hmm. That's how you get these folks who are white, but they've tried to pass themselves off as black or Latinx or Afro-Latinx 
because they take these visual cues, these consumption cues that are above the waterline, and then they use those to shape a story, right? Those are the scripts of identity that are above the waterline. Below the waterline, mm -hmm. that's how you can kind of tell who's real and who's not. Because, you know, when I, I've said this in, in the, the workshops that I give to for-profit folks, is it's not necessarily about what music and what food that they eat or that they listen to or eat, but you got to ask, do they wash below the knee? Do they wash the bottom of their <laughs> pots and pans? And we all know the joke that that's referring to, right? <laughs> but, right? We all know because exactly. that's what it is. Do you take your shoes off in the house, right? Mm -hmm. Do you wear outside clothes on the couch or on the bed? And these are questions that, that, that are not necessarily about like what you can see, but you can put those on screen. You can depict those in a narrative, but that's how you can tell the real from the fake. Of course, it's not going to be universal. We're not naturalizing culture. We're not naturalizing identity into something biological. But I, I, I will say again that with this, with respect to queerness and queer representation, both in Thor and elsewhere, it's not just about putting same gendered people holding hands or kissing or putting them literally in a family structure. It's what else is there to it? Our experiences of identity, both with being you know, growing up in cultures with the way we experience trauma and oppression and, and so forth, these will express themselves differently, even through these common human experiences, you know, and I, um, Moonlight is a really good example, like, mm -hmm. you know, in that, 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 that final scene, when we have music playing, when we have cooking a meal, when we have sharing it, I'm sorry, that means something different to a lot of us than I think people really understood, right? That, you know, that was deep. And, and that's one of the reasons why that scene is so powerful and so beautiful is because it touches on something that is, it's not simple consumption, right? This was a dance of culture that we saw in, in that scene. And mm -hmm. that was written so well, it was performed so well that the cinematography was so perfect for it, but that is different. And that's how we have to show these things. It's not simple. And, and, and if you're going to avoid those things, then you're not really going to get the representation that you think that you have. Exactly. And uh, when I say this is the uh, queer representation, as far as the most queer representation in the MCU, that might have been false because Eternals, we had hmm. these scene with uh, Michael, Brian Tyree, what's, what's his name? Brian Michael. Yeah. Uh, him and his uh, husband, and then I think they had a kid uh, as well. So that was more meaty than what they gave us in Thor. Still, it was, you know, less than one, but it was, I guess it was better than nothing. Um, but yeah, I, there was, I appreciate the attempt, but at the, in the same breath, we're past the point of attempt. If you're going to do it, do it and do it well. There's no, yeah. there should, we shouldn't be at chapter one in this book of yeah. authentic representation in the MCU and, and comic books, comic book movies in general. Yeah. Like there's so much queer, queerdom in there. Like even with Black Panther, when they had uh, Ao and her lover in Black Panther that was that was edited out of of the first Black Panther. Mm -hmm. So I, I need them to, if you're going to do it, do it and do it authentically. Don't say, oh well, because we have markets in China and Saudi Arabia, we're going to edit out this 30 second clip of a movie, and it didn't even matter if it was in a movie. You know that 
sort of shit just irritates the hell out of me. Because um, they had did it in, um, oh God, Miss Marvel, I think. There was a, um, was it Miss Marvel? Yeah, it was, it, it was kind of hinted at, you know, yeah. with, and it was, it was suggestive, but if you blinked, you would have missed it. Right. Like, I don't know if, I, I know it's from a, a, since we live in a capitalistic society, they have to think about that, but still it's, it, you can't have it both ways, Disney, just yeah. like you can't, say your uh, no to the don't say gay bill in Florida, but then in the same breath, donate to all of these Republican candidates and incumbents. You can't have it both ways. Right. But going on, uh, what were some of your favorite scenes in uh, Thor, um, Love and Thunder? Um, well, first I will say Brian Tyree Henry. I'm sorry we forgot your name, but yes. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant actor. And I want to see more more fastos in the MCU. Um, like just, I don't know. I, I, I love the character. Um, he reminds he me of Forge. What, what's that? He reminds me of, of the equivalent of Forge. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so. exactly. Um, so to answer the question, so favorite scenes in, in Love and Thunder. Um, I, I actually did, I, I love the, the contrast. So when we get to the end and we, you know, meet eternity and the realm or the dimension that eternity is in, my mm -hmm. brain immediately went to the contrast of the soul world and what we saw with Thanos. Um, and mm -hmm. the, the, the thing that I, I imagined was, um, you know, that, that scene, the soul world, you know, what did it cost you everything? And like, and you know, that is what it, what happened. Um, Thanos brought death to the world and the soul world looked empty. It looked dark. It was this, this, the, the, the orange hues of everything. Um, and that, that sort of question of like, so this is what you wanted is, right. you know, and, and how do you feel about that? And yeah. We got that sort of, you know, hanging the, this Jersey and the rafters moment in Endgame, and Thanos was like, actually, um, he was proud of what he did, but that question was, and what did it cost you? It was that sort of self-reflection of you wanted this, you wanted to be here and, and, and it was empty. It was, that was the soul world. That was his sort of that was his hell that was the result right but when we get to um, eternity at the end of love and thunder this is it is bright it is brilliant this is literally the, the water is the same this limited you know nothingness this vastness but here is where you are and here is your object um i felt like that was an intentional contrast to what thanos had done and the realm that thanos had stepped into is that Thanos brought death to the universe and this is where he ended up. This is where it took him. And yet mm -hmm. this was eternity and the opportunity to, again, you know, bring that love into the universe and eternity giving this sort of thing in this moment of change of heart. Um, it was the reflection of Gore, you know, Gore having that opportunity to redeem himself or to see something different um, and to say like, okay, so this is what you wanted. And then Gore being like, oh, actually, this is going to show me something different. There was something about the visual cues in those two scenes that I felt was contrasting and I felt like it was intentional. And I really did like that. I, I liked the way Eternity was just there. Um, mm -hmm. And like you could sort of you could see that this thing was there, but you could perceive its actions, even though it didn't do anything. It didn't say anything. Um, and I hate that it's sort of like a Rorschach test. Like you're just looking at it and like, what is eternity saying? What is eternity doing? Right, right. Um, but I did, I, I really liked the way they, they depicted that. Um, I think 
um, trying to think of some of the other scenes that I actually did like in that movie. Um, I thought that they were they they did something clever with Mjolnir and it was shattered, but yet it could break apart and come back together. Um, right. I thought that was really dope. I didn't expect that at all. I was like, okay, so it's going to be a hammer again. And it's like, no, this is really clever. Um, I, I think that was that was innovative. Um, I think I think Thor's costumes were 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 nice. They were elaborate. I, I like yeah. the way that he was getting these power upgrades. Um, I also think that the um, the the kids i know that like people there was a lot of people on twitter who didn't like that because they're like child soldiers um but <laughs> well, I, maybe yeah i mean right like, <laughs> I, I saw i just i saw it completely differently like Mar- marvel is intentionally bringing um younger folks into their storylines because they know that 14 years into the mcu a lot of us have grown up and then a lot of us have grown have kids now and the, you know mm-hmm. or the kids are of age to like see and understand these films a little bit more and so Marvel has to lay the groundwork for the next generation. That's why we're getting all these like young Avengers cues. But what I right. saw in that was, um, was again, it was like Marvel's way of empowering younger folks who were like, well, I'm not a superhero. I'm just this. I'm just that. It's like, no, but you can do this. Like, it's, right. I, I, I understand the narratives about child violence and child stories. And also within the context of this is a fantasy world and these are superheroes and like we don't superhero stories don't just like have superheroes sitting at home and like moving things like this is not about like regular life like these right. are always fights between good and evil and what can we can you know learn from that so i thought that that was actually it was super cute and um and it was just it was a way that thor was able to empower the younger folks in that same way that that um uh that odin told thor like well, are you the god of hammers like your power comes from your people. It comes for it's inside of you. And the way Thor was able to say, like, you don't have to be like all this, like, don't worry, like just me conveying this to you, that will bring that power out. And then you can do this and you can do all these things. I thought that was really dope um, for like a, any little kid mm-hmm. watching. It's like, oh, shoot, like I can actually do that, too. Um, it do, I don't have to be, you know, one of the typical superheroes. I don't have to have a magic weapon. Um, I can, right. you know, derive that power. So I did like that as well. Um, I, I thought it was, it was kind of funny how, um, uh, how new, uh, Asgard turns into this tourist destination <laughs> and how it is so commercialized, you know? Um, and I mean, talk about like, like recurring themes throughout the movie. If you're talking about how gods are not these like spiritual, all knowing, like just and loving beings, but they're basically just regular humans who are hedonistic mammals with, with appetites. Um, mm-hmm. that's what Asgard, new Asgard represented. It was, you know, these are literal gods of, you know, Norse mythology. And yet when given the opportunity, they just commercialized it anyway. And so like mm-hmm. extending that commentary on what is, what is religion, what is belief, what is faith? It's like, you know, that Asgard was coming, becoming that, but just in a sort of contemporary capitalistic sort of way, like let's accumulate wealth. We've got to pay for That's things, true, yeah. you know, and, and it's just like they devalued themselves because they leaned into, you know, the gospel of prosperity. Right. That that's very true when you look at it. Um I think I love seeing the different gods and goddesses in that scene with Zeus, which I was confused. Why did Zeus have like a Italian accent, so to speak? <laughs> it, it was an Australian I, trying to do a Greek accent, a modern. Yeah, Greek it was it was so odd. I think 
I don't know if it was on purpose that he was trying to do that accent, but kudos to Russell Crowe. Um, there was apparently uh, Bissette was in the, the, I guess the audience and we didn't even see her until like somebody basically had to do like a, oh, here's Bissette and all of this makeup. It just felt like the makeup was wasted because we didn't see it like mm -hmm. in its beauty. Um, I love the the yelling goats. Like the, <laughs> the goats were like one of my favorite things in the movie. Um, they were just just hollering and reminded me of I don't even know what it reminded me of. It was it was good to see. I, I love the uh, the final battle when they were in that planet that was just devoid of yeah. color and it would it almost looked had like a, a film noir look yeah. to it. I was waiting for Humphrey Bogart to come out of the shadows and say some kind of lines, but the the hints of color that were going in and out, I love that. And I think that was about it. Uh, I, I, I love seeing Jane Foster on the, the screen. And a, another question, I think she was a good addition, but there was something that was just off or it wasn't, it, everything didn't congeal together. And I don't know if it was just me being particular and mm. harsh or if anybody else felt that, did you feel that? Or was that just me being high and during the movies? No, you know, I, I actually, so part of my overall reservations about Love and Thunder were very similar to, um, to Multiverse of Madness. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that, the, that using Jane is a perfect example. There's a chapter missing there um I, that we didn't get. And it was the same for Wanda. Like we ended WandaVision with like, you know, with the line of lines, like what is grief, if not, you know, love persevering. And so we understood that Wanda was acting out based on grief. And she went, she took herself to an isolated place to not harm anyone. Yeah, we got the the post credits with the, um, or the mid credits with the, um, the dark hold. Um, and we knew the potential of that and that she still wasn't over it. But there's a chapter missing between that uh, scene and multiverse of madness that says that Wanda sank deeper into this unprocessed grief. And I, I think that, I think that was a, a miss for multiverse of madness. Cause we didn't know who this character was. And I, I see your cat. Sorry. I had a little friend coming up. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I think, I think that was a miss because we didn't understand who this Wanda was. Right. Um, because it was a, it was too it was too different from the Wanda that we had just left, who was expressing their their grief and also their love for what they had lost, and I think the same it was the same for Jane, that bringing Jane back out of nowhere, um, like you can tell us all these things and you know a, a line here and there that explains what's going on, um, and even you know Jane's cancer, but it didn't give us a chance to really to get to know Jane all over again, you know, like Thor right. said, it's been eight years. Um, in the in the MCU, and I think the last time we saw Jane was Thor too. Like I don't think we we had a throwaway line in in Ultron, um, you know, like why Pepper and Jane weren't there in in the scene. Um, but I, I I think that that's a um, I think that was a miss. I think we needed more uh, more Jane. Maybe a they could have done a one shot 
um, and released it, you know, a, a nice little eight or 10 minute thing that would have explained right. what, what Jane's been up to and why Jane is prominent, but also what Jane's been dealing with and battling. Um, but, you know, again, it, I, I think, I think that that's just more Taika. Um, and I think that, um, I don't know if you've seen too many of his movies, you start to, to get the pattern. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, saying this about Marvel, I'm talking about patterns, but like, right. <laughs> but right. I think, I think it's something, I, I think it is a miss. Um, you can't, I mean, and I know we were talking, um, what was a Jojo rabbit? Like I get that too. Like you're, you're making light and jokes about, you know, the Holocaust in order to convey a point at the end about this whole story. And I think that, you know, doing that with, with Jane's cancer as well, I think, I think it was, it was something that left us wanting, or at least it left me wanting um, because it, it too much Jane as Thor uh, um, kind of took away from the cancer storyline. Like it, it just didn't, you, you see this, she's, she's confident, she's bold, she's got muscles, she's, you know, vibrant. Um, and she's kicking ass and it wasn't like, you didn't see that a lot of the, the pain that she was going through underneath it. Um, she seemed mm-hmm. to, um, you know, and it might be tropey, but she also wasn't hiding. Like, you know, when you have this like inner, inner feeling of like, yes, you see all this, but also like, I'm suffering underneath the surface. Like, right. I, I, I openly admit this everywhere, but as a person who has managed anxiety and depression since birth, I, yeah, I will often perform in social settings or in work settings. Um, and people think, wow, this is an extrovert. Like this is a person who's just so like at peace and has all this other stuff. And it's like, you, that's not the struggle. Like that's easy. <laughs> and you know, right. Jane right. was doing that on the surface um, without that, that sort of those moments where um, Jane was the protagonist and where we could feel what Jane was going through on the inside or what she was going through privately. Um, I I didn't get a lot of that. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe if I watch the movie again or twice or three times more, I will be able to see that and feel that. But when I saw that in the theater uh, on a Monday afternoon, I just, I didn't feel that same uh, emotional beat that I really wanted to see to expand this character. Right. And if Love and Thunder was after the blip, what was Jane doing during the blip? Like we didn't, I wish they could have hinted at that or at least some kind of dialogue because, you know, that was a traumatic experience for literally the entire world. So, I mean, we couldn't, we should have gotten that. And I guess because that's how Taika writes, Yeah, you know, say la vie. Yeah. (laughs) So at the, uh, the ending credits, we, well, prior to, the end, we saw that Zeus was quote unquote killed, but he wasn't. And he says something to the effect that there was a time where the people feared gods. And he said that maybe it's a time to return back to that. And so he looks to his son, Hercules. And Hercules has been prominent in the Marvel comics. That teaser... I don't know what to make of that teaser. I don't know if Hercules, because Hercules has been a a good guy and a bad guy when it comes to Marvel storylines. What are your uh, hopes and wishes when it comes to adding this character 
yet another character in the MCU. Um, you know, to be honest, I, I, I didn't like that, that whole little thing. Um, and the reason why I didn't like it is because, you know, what are we like 13, 14 projects into phase four? Like this has just been massive. Yeah. Um, bigger than any other Marvel phase. Um, the movies are performing according to Rotten Tomatoes about as well as phase one and phase two performed. Like it's, the, that's what the films are performing, but the series are outperforming. The series are even outperforming phase three, which phase three to me in terms of those films was otherworldly um, mm-hmm. in their, you know, the stories that we were able to get. So weird thing that's being constructed in, but what I, what I felt was they created yet another potential storyline for the MCU. Mm-hmm. And when people are complaining that, um, phase four is lost and we don't know where it's going and are they just throwing these stories at us some people will appreciate that because then it makes the mcu more like the comics whereas you have you know so many titles and so many issues that you can find your corner of the universe and appreciate that but i just felt like introducing this other sort of front in this you know battle that's going to end up happening um, at the end of the 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 secret war saga um, that it, it was unnecessary, it, you know, like it, you could have wrapped it up nicely into just letting it go. It could have been a comedic uh, uh, mid credits, but saying that now Zeus and the gods are going to wage war, I think that can lead to more. Like we have this, we already, ha- so if, if Zeus is, is opening this up, we already have the celestials, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the eternals in this, this sort of battle. Um, and you know, maybe this is just more, we're going to see more of superheroes and regular people versus these gods and elders and celestials and, and you know, uh, um, you know, supremely powered beings in the universe. Maybe that's what it's going to be. And maybe we're going to, you know, get, get there somewhere in this, um, in this saga that's going to go on for the next two or three years, what, three years, four years. Um, so it's possible, but I just, I, I just felt like it was, I don't know. I, it just felt unnecessary because, are we going to have another Thor or is this it? Like, <laughs> right, right. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I thought there's a, a lot of criticism that the phase four is all over the place. And I think that's on purpose. Yeah. You can't have this blip and then put it back together and then have these multi universes without it being intentionally crazy. So, I, I enjoy where they're going uh, with adding all of these characters. Now, I know me and a friend had way, God, this must have been three or four years ago when they started introducing more characters. I thought, well, are they going to, is the MCU going to collapse under itself because there's so many stories that they could pull from? Hmm. And now that they, I mean, we've got Wakanda, we've got a Fantastic Four comma, we know the mutants are coming. We know um, we have all of these different strings to pull from. I enjoy the the teaser because maybe Hercules can enlist the help of uh, Hela. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe Hela, if and this is like storytelling one on one in a cinematic uh, thing or cinematic format. If you don't show me a body, mm, yeah, you're not dead. Yeah. And Hela is like, how can you kill a, the goddess of death? Because death is just maybe, what is it, a sleep or a catnap for her? So yeah. 
I think Hella will reveal herself to be a bigger entity in the upcoming sequel. Well, the upcoming movies, I'll say. Especially with uh, since we're going to get a, another Eternals, um, maybe in Fantastic Four, but that w- would be way too long to sit on her, I, I think. Um, I think we're wrapping up here soon. Um, is there like final thoughts about Thor and how do you think um, Thor's progression as a character will go forward in the MCU? Uh, that's a really good question because I'm looking at um, all the announcements yesterday and some things that weren't even touched on but were or have been sort of confirmed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like you, you mentioned Eternals 2, but I we've heard about Eternals 2, but that was there was no mention of that yesterday. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff that we'll probably find out at D23. Um, but I, I struggle to see where Thor fits in the narrative going forward. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I mean, I say that even for, for Dr. Strange, it's like, where does Dr. Strange fit in this narrative going forward? Mm-hmm. Um, all the, we'll see, I'm looking forward to the Marvels, but you know, if we're talking about um, Avengers that existed before Endgame versus where all these new characters are coming, um, I, I trust in Kevin Feige, but it doesn't seem to really, it, I, I'm, I'm not seeing how all these characters are going to fit, except that you're going to eventually just force them into a narrative. Um, you know, I can see, I can see Kang. I mean, they, they are clearly making Kang uh, just everywhere. And so brilliant casting. Um, <laughs> it's just, it, I, I love that they're doing that. Um, and you can make the entire, you can make the case for the, for all of phase six being you know starting with the fantastic four and ending um with secret wars you can make the case that kang is going to be present in every marvel project for phase six especially according to those dates that kevin feige added it's going to be it's going to last a year um, right uh, a whole a whole phase that's a year two avengers films in one year that's a lot but if this is going to revolve around kang um the timelines and then eventually someone saying all right this whole universe is broken and like time out we need to bring you all together because we've got to fix this out because you're just breaking it right um you know I, I could see all that fitting in but i just i don't know what thor's future is i i think that um uh, um someone in one of these youtube said that they they actually love that marvel's trick is that every superhero um fails repeatedly like tony stark's so Tony Stark is brilliant and he makes everything. And yet in every movie, his technology continues to fail on him and it continues right. to break. And of course, like that goes way back to um, what Stan Lee has always said about the comic books and the storytelling is that Marvel is about regular people in extraordinary circumstances. Um, and so, you know, Marvel's, Marvel's heroes fail and that is what makes them great and relatable. And that's why we love them because they're not perfect. They're not gods and they're not monsters. And I think when Marvel gets away from gods, gets away from that and leans into gods versus monsters, um, that those are probably where the stories fail. We need to see, um, we need to even see our villains with some nobility and some internal logic. Um, mm-hmm. um, but I, yeah, I think that's where that's, that's it for me with Thor is I don't see where Thor is going. I think Thor has, Thor's become a bro. Um, and yeah, 
Ugh. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I appreciate that. Um, I My day job is in uh, diversity and inclusion in tech. And um, though my experience is different because I'm not on the engineering side or the technical side, I still know what it what it's like to be surrounded by bros. And I'm not necessarily a, a, a fan of that that sort of character type. So I I just... Yeah, I don't know. I, I wish I could say I'm looking forward to more, but I, I really am just sitting and waiting and just like, I just got to let go and, and trust in Feige. Right, uh, right. And I'm like, like, what can you, he's almost like this, this dog without a home. Like he's, yeah. he left the Avengers. He was ripping and running around with the Guardians. He doesn't have his mom. He doesn't have his dad. He doesn't have his brother. Mm. He doesn't have his sister, allegedly. Um, well, they weren't even close anyway, which, which is Odin's fault to begin with. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, he's just running around, like looking for a home and I'm like, and he's a dude, bro. So what else, what else is there else for Thor to do except to just go to Asgard and just be in that little corner, be with Jane, you know, do y'all little thing, eat, pray, love or whatever. And just like be, be done with it. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, there's nothing more for Thor to do except when there's a big baddie help out and then, yeah, you no, know, be on his way. Yeah. Uh, so, right. Uh, that, that, that 30 megaton nuke um, that, right. you know, Secretary Ross talked about. And actually, I think, thank you for saying that because that actually, um, you're right, is we saw character growth and development through the, through all iterations of Thor in the MCU so far. Um, but where is this Thor? Like this, this, this Thor that we saw at the end of Love and Thunder, I hate to say it, but it's not too far from party Thor that was in What If? Um, and, and, you know, so it, I thought that we were going to see Thor grow up to be king, but it seems like they've abandoned that. Like, it's not going to be selfless, self-sacrifice, responsible Thor. Um, it's going to be Thor as a, as a foot soldier. And I, I guess that's fine. And, Thor as a dad, um, <laughs> you know, like his fate wasn't predetermined. He gets to decide, he gets to go through all these things. Um, but I, I, yeah, if Thor is not just, just a, 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 a regular, regular Avenger and, you know, doesn't have, where is Thor's end point? I don't know. Maybe that's the point is that there is no uh, Terminator, you know, there is no fate, but what we make, like I, I, there's, there's a lot of ways to read the character. I will say though, that, um, for all the chaos of Marvel films of late, um, though I do enjoy them, I think the <laughs> the um, assembled series, the documentaries, the making ofs, you know, the, these hour long documentaries that tell us how these things were made and convey the point of the actors and the storytellers, um, those have done a lot for me in understanding what the point of these movies are. Like Doctor Strange 2, Multiverse of Madness, I saw that and I was like, yeah, it's fun, it's entertaining, it's also chaotic, it's a fucking mess. But mm-hmm. then when I watch the assembled and you see this thing and they come to this note, and I'm just like, wow, that's, that's actually brilliant. Um, and so it's, I understand what they were trying to do. And even though the execution might not have been there it, to see everyone explaining this, you know, when, when you see Benedict Cumberbatch saying that, like, this movie is about the character is about self-improvement and some t- or what is your best self, right? Those are what the multiverses are is where is my best self? Where is my happiest self, my most joyful self? And it's like, it's not about 
always learning, always adding, you know, this, the, the what if doctor version of Dr. Strange, this uh, film version of Dr. Strange, that sometimes it's not about self-improvement, but it's about serving others and that that is your best self. And, you know, mm-hmm. when they had, um, uh, what's her name, Elizabeth Olsen in that same sequence saying that, you know, you're, you're that Wanda was hopscotching the unit multiverse in order to find her best, happiest self. And, totally forgetting what was in front of her. And so like, these are just like, wow, okay, life lessons out of what you were telling us. But I didn't get that from my first watch of the movie. I had to wait for the explanation afterwards. So I am looking forward to the assembled um, for Thor, Love and Thunder to let me know what more were they trying to get at? What points were they trying to convey? Exactly. And I I think I said this on a previous show, uh, but the fact that Wanda murked professor x <laughs> all of these people these oh shit we just stop at professor x because i mean right professor x has like you couldn't sense this bitch in your mind and she went up and just snapped your neck and you were just done like you are supposed to be the most powerful telepath and you couldn't sense this other presence that ran all over me and I, I do not know why it was like really xavier well you Charles, know you did all of this bullshit and yeah well maybe that, you know maybe that was the point that that it was at 838 that they were in um yeah that maybe that universe is just weak because if they were able to beat thanos and they were and that's what wanda did to maybe 616 is just a beast Man, I, I hope so I, right? I hope so because like and maybe that's what we get end up with at the end of secret wars is that 616 is a fucking problem <laughs> yeah maybe yeah maybe we are the problem and we yeah. need to be dealt with yeah that that leads me to my next i guess a okay. bonus question before okay. <laughs> we jump off what are you as far as heroes and villains yeah who are you looking forward to that is coming down the pipeline Ooh, good question um I, I think I agree with everyone who's uh, talking about this Black Panther thing that Doom is going to be in there. He's going to be present. That that Doom is the the sort of benefactor from Ant Man, you know, trying to buy up the Pym Tech. That mm-hmm. Doom is you know trying to take Riri Williams' technology to um, find vibranium or buy it up uh, in the ocean. I think Doom is going to be this silent uh, player in the background. Um, and it's probably going to be yet another, I mean, I, I would hate for them to bring it back to Tony Stark, but it might be that Doom is um, trying to do something after the Avengers basically like could have leveled uh, Eastern Europe at, at, in, in Ultron. Is that mm-hmm. like after that, there was motivation to figure some things out um, and to figure out how to defend himself and to become powerful. Um so, I mean, I know nothing about where the MC is going to take it. So I'll take all this with, with a grain of salt. But I right. just, I, I feel like there's going to be something there. And they're already doing this thing, like you said uh, earlier, like Namor is not a villain. And I don't think Namor is a villain. I think I, I've seen some tweets where people are like, why do they make him a villain? And it's like, he's not a villain. <laughs> he's just, right. it's just, you're used to Wakanda being the protagonist, but there can be um, there can be someone else who is trying to defend their people and trying to keep their people secret and protected because the world is on fire. And yeah, when you have 
protection with protection and scarcity, they're going to bump heads eventually. But I also think that the movie is going to tell us that it was started by someone else. And that at the end, they're going to be like, I don't like you, but I don't dislike you. And you're not my enemy. Right. The enemy is my enemy. My enemy is my friend. So, yeah, like, and that, and that's okay. Like Namor and um, and whoever ends up being the the ruler of Wakanda, they just they just may not fuck with each other. And I think that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. But they don't have to be enemies. But I think I think Doom will will sort of carry that um, as the character is. It's like people will always see Doom as a villain, but Doom also has that that authority, that charisma, that that way of speaking, that manner of moving through the world. That is also like, yeah, that's pretty powerful and badass and you know, that's, that's on you if you don't like that. Um, but I think that Doom is going to be something that I'm, someone that I'm looking forward to. But I also think that the, you know, learning yesterday that it's going to be called Avengers Kang Dynasty. I, I feel like we're actually going to, that's the reason why we're going to get the Fantastic Four is because we're going to realize that this is just a future descendant of of Reed and Sue and and in the MCU that we're going to learn like oh shoot like you y'all are responsible for this you whatever mm-hmm. you do now that leads to this and so we need to figure this out now and I think that seeing um seeing Jonathan Majors do all these different iterations in Loki in Quantumania um in Kang Dynasty and probably Fantastic Four I think that that's going to be um it's going to be nice to see that character that one actor portray these different aspects of Kang um, and the, the different ways that um, we can see this in the different timelines. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't know who's going to play Doom. Um, someone said, um, what's his name? Who played Magneto? Uh, uh, Michael Fassbender? No, wait. is it? No. Yeah, but Michael Fassbender played uh, Magneto in the- Magneto, yeah, yeah. Right, I, sorry, I, yeah. I would love to see Giancarlo Esposito play Dr. Doom. Well, okay, I would too, but how how do we explain that? How do we explain Eastern Europe in that? Like, unless it's been like, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I just, and I, I think there's a way to explain it. And the way is that there's always been Black people in Europe and maybe this is just a sort of reclusive leader and family and whatever. Right, right. Um, which would make a case for the mask, but um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's, and that goes against, well, goes to Magneto, like, whenever they bring him in, how are they going to tell his story as a Holocaust survivor? Yeah. Because he has, like, now he would have to be a descendant of a Holocaust survivor, not a Holocaust survivor himself, because if he was, he would be, like, he would be very old, I'll say, because uh, math is not one of my friends. Um as far as <laughs> new heroes and villains, this might be a long way away, but I would love to see um, Mr. Sinister in some iteration. Oh, God, yes. Um, Give me like, all the gay queer sinister. I, I, yeah, I need me a, a fabulous queer ass Mr. Sinister. Because when was the... I don't remember a time in the MCU or uh, DC Comics, or in villains in general, that there was somebody that was queer and a villain. Like, it's, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, queer code. I would love to see, yeah, a queer code. Because I always thought he was queer in the X-Men animated series. Yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> so I was like, oh, he's just one of me. I'm like, okay. Um, I would love to see Apocalypse. Mm. 
I don't know how they're going to do that. Well, I mean, I think that's a, I think, I mean, just to follow your, your line of thinking, the X-Men exist, they could exist on their own and have a number of like brilliant, wonderful heroes and villains because mm-hmm. that, that, that sort of corner of the, the comic book universe is so well-developed and continuing to develop in the comics. Um, right. And so I think that there is a lot of potential there. And you're right. I completely left them out because I was thinking of yesterday's presentation. But yeah, I think I want a Sinister too. And Sinister is one of my favorite villains because of the animated series and the way he he just came across as queer. And this is when I was like, did I was I able to articulate to myself that I was queer? No, but right. that character exactly. still spoke to me. Um, I mean, look at that cape. <laughs> That's that not cape a normal... and his uh, his people was called the Nasty Boys. So, like, <laughs> oh, come on now, don't don't tell me that he wasn't living it up uh, at Steamworks or whatnot. Or... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so come on now. He like... is basically yeah. He's he basically has a suit of blue and red leather. <laughs> mm-hmm. Basically, he, ha- he wears lipstick. He the the person who did that voice um, that that is a very he come on like that is a queer voice like I know we're not supposed to say that but like he just the character comes across as very queer to me Um, and and also kind of above it and just like there's a there's an arrogance and a power in that arrogance that is smarter than everyone. I would love to see that. I don't know who would play the character. Um, I I just think that they 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 would be able to do a lot of good things. Um, please keep Billy Porter away from it. Please, <laughs> everything I love. Please keep Billy Porter away from it. Mm-mm. I'm not saying anything. I'm not gonna say a word because that's not well, that's not why like... I got invited to this. <laughs> he's just gonna give his things, and then he's gonna break out in song. And I'm like, girl, this is not what we're supposed to be giving. Like, girl, just oh, like you know what genetics. I mean, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I, I do think, you know, when you're, you you mentioned earlier about Magneto's story, and I was thinking of this this week, actually, is how were they going to do this? Because I know there's been a lot of talk about, um, especially because of the rumor that uh, Giancarlo Esposito was going to play Professor X, or there's this rumor. And I, I think he'd play a great Professor X, because when I was reading the 60s comics of um, from the X-Men, like, Professor X, Charles Xavier, like, this was not like lovable Patrick Stewart. Like Patrick Stewart mm-hmm. is like kind and benevolent in those eyes. And I don't think I could see Patrick Stewart playing a villain, but this was like, he, like who says, you know, to me, my X-Men and is not like a, a, a jerk. Like this is like, he is intimidating. He is straightforward. He is smart and he knows what's going on, what exists in the world. And so he's very protective. He's a very powerful person. I think Giancarlo Esposito could pull that off in mm-hmm. ways that, um, that you know a few other actors could but i think in terms of magneto and the backstory i actually i i was thinking what else has happened what other horrific anti-semitic thing has happened in the last you know 80 years that could possibly be a jumping off point because right. it, the holocaust is horrible and awful and it's also not the last time that there was this horrible awful thing happening to jewish people around the right. world so there could be some other origin story that still keeps true to that, um, because you're right. Unless we start to do things like maybe it's specific to Magneto that you know he he ages slowly, uh, but that was still his his origin story. I could see that, um, and that's I mean it, it's a fantastic world anyway. Like we they, they can do anything, 
and still right. ground in that. Like, it's not a problem to do that. I'm, no one's going to disbelieve. What do you mean he ages slowly? <laughs> it's like, right. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, sure. It's internal logic. It just right. it has to agree with itself, not with us in our world. Um, so I, I think that that's still a possibility. But there's also a, an opportunity to show that maybe maybe Magneto's parents were Holocaust survivors, but maybe he went through something else that existed in society. And the and, and that is making the point that so this is a mass shooting at a synagogue or exactly. something like that. That would I could see them going that route more than oh, he's a Holocaust survivor, because that's rooted in real well, it's rooted in reality that we can actually yeah feel like oh we could you know go out to the grocery store and get shot up you know so yeah and it's and i again that is crucial to the character i don't like relying on sort of excavating trauma or using it for simple storytelling like i i I mean we can talk about this all day and twitter does it all day but Mm -hmm. i think there is something powerful to say that anti-semitism continues and that it is you know yes that we know the comic book character and grounding that and the way the comic books does history and time um, and it compresses that. Um, But I think that 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 might convey a point very similar to um, to Miss Marvel, which is look what the British did in partition, but also look what's still happening to us in the present day. Um, You know, you can see these lines that are just that are direct and these direct connections to history. Um, I, I think that there is something that Marvel could do there. That would that would still serve the character and the character's origins of like why is this character responding this way to racism and to all these things? Well, it's because of their their origins. If you have a, a Magneto as a child who you know hears stories from their parents or grandparents as Holocaust survivors and understands the weight that that carries. And also the things, the the love, the creation that came through defying that and fighting against that, and then witnesses something that still happens, that it's just that that says that look, my my parents, what they went through did not end. No wonder they still carry that. No wonder they still fight against that. You mm-hmm. know, it is because it is here, it is real, it is present. Um, and I mean, given the context of the U.S. and the world um, with, you know, fascism and anti-Semitism continuing to the present day, um, that would do that would serve the purpose, I think, that Magneto carried and his backstory carried for the first 60 years. Right. And going back to uh, casting to Dr. Doom, mm-hmm. oh, one just popped up in my head. Uh, mm-hmm. Keith David, he has oh. that deep, scary That's voice. That's yeah. I remember him uh, being a voice actor um, on Justice League when he did, uh, oh God, what was that? Uh, whatever that character's name. And he he always, I always loved him. So having that kind of character that is, can just intimidate you with just his voice, I think would be, yeah. they need to look at, Kevin, I know you're listening to the show, so <laughs> look at uh, Keith okay. David's uh, filmography, and if you do hire him, then I want my 20%. <laughs> I don't even think Robert Downey Jr. got 20%. <laughs> okay, 1.5, I'll take it down, just just because I am a benevolent being. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, you, I think you're right. Um, and I, and honestly, you know, I mean, they could do that just like, I mean, Lawrence Fishburne, you know, when he did silver surfer, they could have one actor mm-hmm. portray and then one actor do the voice. I mean, we already know that in Mandalorian that, you know, we have, we have different actors portraying the, the character in different scenes because of that helmet, because of that mask. And then mm-hmm. we just have voiceover. So that's also a possibility. Just pick a voice actor and, and someone who's experienced at it. Don't just get an actor to do voices because we see how that fails in so many like modern cartoons. Ooh, yeah. Or they could flip it on his head and do a female Dr. Doom. They could. They, that they could. would, that would well, have would a, that, dude bros have heart attacks and would, I would be so for it. Would that be too much like um, like the Black Widow villain reveal? think so okay I, I think i always enjoy female villains mm-hmm. i think they have most the more fun than the male villains um and i think it would be a way to show like hey you know women and self-identifying people as uh women they are just as nasty and fucked up and mean as the rest of us so why can't they have more fun but we're we're at our end here so chief uh uh, let everybody where they can find you on uh the internet where they can find color block if they want to donate uh things of that nature absolutely so for color block you can visit colorblock.org c-o-l-o-r-b-l-o-q dot org that is the website that's where you'll see all the information the past collections um and some of the uh images from the the community events that we've held um there is a donate link on there so please by all means um send what you can or just amplify uh every little bit counts we are volunteers as uh as co-founders as directors of the of the space we volunteer our time um our blood sweat and tears uh and we do this on our lunchtime nighttime and weekend times we have our nine to fives, but color block is our five to nine. Um, so you can find that there also at colorblock.org. Again, spell it out, C-O-L-O-R-B-L-O-Q-O-R-G, colorblock.org. That is our handle on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and otherwise. Um, you can find me at Chief Esparza, C-H-I-E-F-E-S-P-A-R-Z-A, on Twitter, and if you go to Instagram, Chief double underscore Esparza on Instagram, um, and you'll get to see all the things like you know, people accuse me of dropping thirst traps. I am not a thirst trap. It cannot be a trap unless there's something, lo- someone looking for a trap. Um, <laughs> well, touche, Nick, you- <laughs> because I was about to retort, but touche. <laughs> um, but you're, you're going to get, you, you'll, you'll get, you'll get selfies. You'll get Marvel stuff. You'll get comic book stuff, Star Wars, Star Trek. Um, and then you'll get musings about politics in the world um, in between all the shit postings. So, um, if you like a, a sort of open three-dimensional human being on social media, then, um, I'm your human. But if you like a limited range of topics, well, you can follow any one of the thousands and millions of people. Also, that's on right. You better. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, for as far as Megashine, you can find us everywhere on uh, the internet, where you can like, rate, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify. Uh, if you want to follow our personal accounts, I am at What Porter Say, Victor's at Wonderbin5. We're on Facebook and Instagram and Mechachine1. 
if you would like to visit our pod, um, not our podcast, but our website, we're at podoftheshine.com. If you want to send us any questions, comments, concerns, um, you can email us at mechashine6 at gmail.com. Uh, let's see. I think that is about it. Um, if you are in the San Diego area, Victor is having a uh, a panel at Comic-Con, which is probably over by now. Well, well. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I fucked that up. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much, Chief, for joining us. Um, and until next time, kids, uh, mind your business, mm-hmm. drink your water, stretch, <laughs> especially if, if you are over th- the age of 30, please stretch. Okay. Because I need to stretch right now because my hip flexors are killing me. Um, And we will see you all next time. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you.